Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. What's what's going on, y'all? Um, I always try to figure out a story that I can tell you during a podcast. And sometimes I sit here for like 10 minutes trying to think of what the appropriate story would be for today's episode. And today I got nothing. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, yesterday I recorded an episode. And then when I when I stopped the episode, I was feeling really motivated because I'm many of you know I'm working on my second book. And that second book is going to be all about stories from my life, memoirs, if you will, like positive ones, like funny ones, not dark stuff. This is just going to be good, funny Stories that hit in no um, particular order. They'll just be random thoughts of stories from the past that I've jotted down notes about. I haven't put a whole lot of thought into them. I just, one minute, like I said in a post that I did a while back, one minute I'll be talking about um, transvestites in Thailand riding on a scooter with, with a tranny in Thailand to the next to be baking cookies with my mom. You know, And that's how that audio book is going to flow. And I'm doing it backwards um, actually recording all the audio and then I'm going to have to write the book. So it is not going to make a whole lot of sense, the written format. Um, so I was just sitting here and I'm looking through notes and there's so many things that come, come to, come to light, man. But I always reflect on my childhood and I think that childhood is so appropriate because for many of us, I understand not everybody had, had, had the best childhood. I get it. But for many of us, Childhood was the best time of our life because we had no responsibilities. It was all play and no work versus now it's all work and no play. And we're in tune with the world around us. We're in tune with the the fuckery that goes on in the world. And we, we're in tune with how people um, suck sometimes. And we're in tune with dangers. And I just remember being a kid and none of that mattered. Everybody was great. All people were good. There wasn't a dangerous situation because you didn't understand your own mortality. You just didn't get it. And life was fun. And a buddy of mine told me one time, he said, the key to happiness is learning how to be a kid again. And I looked at him and I said, man, I got too many fucking responsibilities. And he goes, well, that sounds like a you problem. <laughs> and, and is right. So, and he's a pretty happy dude. Um, granted, he lives in a, in a tent. Um, you know, and, but Hey, if that's what makes you happy, that's what makes you happy. Right. I started thinking, cause I'm always thinking about my kids and I'm thinking about 
how they how they'll remember their father, how they'll see their father. And well, I think a lot of times we don't spend a whole lot of times working on um, right now. You know, we don't have time right now to really focus and concentrate on things. But the problem with that is because everybody's worried about the future, right? And before we know it, the future is here. And we didn't spend the right nows enough enough time in the right nows to really spend. And I'm speaking from you know personal personal um, experience here. I'm, I don't know you. You may do all the right things and make all the right moves in your life and say all the right things, but I promise you, I'm not that guy. I don't really focus on. I always I'm always working towards future, and I have to really rein myself in sometimes, especially when it comes to my kids, because I'll, I'll daddy's working on this, daddy's working on that, and I don't have time to untie the string that you just tried to make a lasso for the dog and you fucked up the lasso and I'm trying to record a podcast. So I'm going to get to you. And we, you know, and I can hit stop on this podcast at any time, but that's kind of what I'm getting at is how our kids will remember us. And I don't, my biggest fear is that my, my children will grow up and, and, and think two things. One, daddy didn't have a lot of time for us. And two, Daddy was uh, daddy was a lot different and daddy was mean or daddy was very abrupt and strict and all these things. And it makes me think about my grandfather and I'm actually telling a story about my grandfather in my audiobook. And, I, you know, I'll talk about it here for a minute just because it, it makes so this makes so much sense to me. So my grandfather, his name was D.C. and he was um, he was fucked up. I'll just be honest with you. He was he was very fucked up. He didn't really. He didn't really stand a chance at, at at this life. At I mean, I guess he did. We all have an opportunity to be as successful as we want to be, um, given um, we all come from different backgrounds and circumstances. But you know, his his back was really against the wall, and I think that he did the best that he could given the circumstances and the time and the culture that he grew up in. And he was just a very hard, misunderstood man. And later in life, I realized just how much he and I were alike. But the difference is he didn't have the knowledge that I have of his condition. I do. I, I'm privy to understanding why I'm different. Whereas back then, he wasn't as privy to it. And just case in point. So when my grandfather lost both of his parents when he was very young, at by the age of five, both of his parents were gone. So his father went to prison, um, I want to say for a life sentence. But his father went to prison and was killed, subsequently killed in prison. And then his mother died. And this was by the age of five. Um, one of his brothers was killed very, very violently. I think he has his throat cut. That's the story I was told. Um, and then I heard another story, but um, I don't know. His Another brother, his fell off a roof and died. But long story short, he dropped out of school in, in elementary school and had to start working as a pulp water in the hot woods of Florida and South Georgia. And he became pretty much a logger. And in the 40s, when World War II started, he went into the Army, and he fought in the South Pacific during the island hopping campaigns. He fought the Japanese. And there, not only did they they experience massive trauma of loss of friends and, and just the shit that I can't imagine that they had to see, they also suffered psychological damage when they were fighting the Japanese. Now, he never spoke about this, but um, I know 
you know, through history and everything, it was talked about. He was in the Philippines campaign, and that was a pretty nasty campaign. And they were, uh, it is said that Japanese soldiers were beheading children and women and putting their uh, heads on stakes. And that was to psychologically damage the American troops. And I'm sure that that, that definitely happened. So fast forward, when my grandfather gets out of the military, he's, he's now a father of six children. And uh, he ended up losing one of his children, uh, very early age, to polio, and uh, she actually she actually choked to death in my grandmother's arms. So his whole life was about loss, and his whole life was about trauma, and how he dealt with that was with the bottle. Now, what I didn't tell you is, while after World War II, after my grandfather came out unscathed, he got shot in a bar fight, and he got shot in the throat right in front of his two daughters and my grandmother, and it uh, he almost died, but his injuries, it caused him to never talk again. It blew out his larynx, his voice box, all that stuff. And he could never talk again. So any communication with my grandfather had to be in written form. He had to write it down. And you got to think from a guy who was educated from the third or the fifth grade, his vocabulary was not very extensive. Okay. Um, I grew up communicating with him that way. He would write, you know, little sentences to tell you what he needed or wanted, or, you know, to ask how you're doing. And, you know, he would try to talk to you, but he'd have to cover the hole in his throat. And and that's what it sounded like. It sounded like a Donald Duck. What I'm getting at is this. My grandfather was not an easy man to be around when he was raising kids. His children, I, I grew up hearing horror stories about this man, about how mean he was, how violent he was, how vicious he was. But he was also the most giving and caring person you could you could ever see. But in an instant, he could change. And like a flip of a fucking switch, he would change. And he was big on the bottle, and he drank. And before he knew it, he had isolated himself and pushed his entire family away. He got a divorce from my grandmother and left his his kids, you know. And it was, uh, it was very hard, and his kids never understood him. But I get my grandfather. I get him. All the horrible things that I've heard about the man, I understand him. And if anybody in my family understands him, it's me. And granted, we, we went through different things, but our symptoms were all the same. You know, we, we pushed people away. We were triggered on for various things. We leaned on the bottle when we shouldn't lean on the bottle. And we the family walked on eggshells around us. I, so I understand from that perspective. And I don't think he was a bad man. I think he was just misunderstood. And I think what I'm getting at is this. I'm, I'm trying very, very desperately very attentively and very hard to try to understand what I go through, why I'm the way that I am, why, and I'm doing, I think I'm doing a fantastic job. I'm, I'm leaps and bounds beyond where my grandfather used to be, but I know how much two, two kids, how much turmoil that caused me. And I'm not blaming them. I'm, I'm not blaming anybody. I, I have associated triggers with this. So I can't imagine my grandfather with six children. I cannot imagine the constant turmoil the man was in and his inability to communicate because his fucking larynx was blown out and because of his lack of education and he couldn't talk and he couldn't write. So I imagine it's just like a mad child when they start screaming. They, they, they're upset. They're trying to communicate with you and they just can't tell you what's wrong. So they scream and they, they throw tamper, temper tantrums. It's frustrating. I, I feel, I've honestly, I felt horrible for him when I look back and I think about him in the in the late forties, early fifties, trying to provide for a family. 
and given the circumstances surrounding that, I, I couldn't imagine how tough that was for him. So here's what I don't want. I look at my family and I look at all the things that were said about my grandfather when when uh, his children grew up. And I'd hate to think that my children would ever see me that way. And I know they won't because I'm, I'm way ahead of this thing. But I understand if I don't stay ahead of it, I understand what happens. I go backwards. And I want to encourage you, if you are experiencing these things, think about who it affects. We've talked about secondary trauma and how you can give symptoms of what you're experiencing to your loved ones. And you got to think about that from a, from a standpoint of, dude, do I want to keep using what I'm going through as an excuse? Because it's affecting people around me. It's not just affecting me. And you got to think about the legacy you want to leave. Do I want to be stronger than this? And do I want my children to see me as resilient? And, hey, they'll know my story. I'll talk to them later when it's appropriate. And let them understand what I'm going through. And then maybe, just maybe, they'll be like, God damn, my mother and my father was a resilient motherfucker. That's what I want. That's what I want them to know about their daddy, that their daddy never quit. That their daddy... No matter what, pressed the fuck on. And they didn't suffer because of it. And I think that's, I mean, that's motivation in itself to work on ourselves, to work on getting better, to be resilient, to get stronger. Use the past and the past cultures before us as an example of how not to be with what we go through. Because back then it was considered weak. Now, there are some out there that still say that, but fuck them. <laughs> my, my old go-to, fuck them. I was on the phone the other day with somebody from a fire department, and they were saying, you know, we'd, we'd love to have your courses up here, and we still have uh, some some chief officers, some uh, supervisors, some line officers that they don't believe in this stuff. And this this was actually said to me, and I said, why don't they believe in it? And they said that, they feel like it's a sign of weakness to, to have to have problems with this. And I said, you know what? Those will be the same people years from now or maybe even months from now on the floor crying, begging for help in, internally because they don't know how to process it. And they're just they're putting on that mask and they're putting on that front because nobody is stronger than, than our brain. No, nobody is stronger than the reconfiguration of your wires when they get crossed up and things change. You, you, you're not stronger than that. I tried to be that, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a strong motherfucker, and there was no way I could beat that. So think about it. I have an old note here in my in my notebook. I was like, all right, what, what do I want to talk about today? What do I want to record about? So sometimes I'll flip back through some pages and see what I've written down. And I have this old one with an asterisk by it, like a big star indicating that I really need to hit this topic, but I need to do it when it's appropriate. And I think today's appropriate um, for me to talk about this. When is it time to discuss with your kids the effects from PTSD or post-traumatic stress, however you want to word it, and secondary trauma? When is it time to open up and talk to your children about that? And I'll tell you from personal experience, I've recently started doing this with my oldest daughter. She's seven. And the reason I want to talk about it now is because I don't want it to become a shock to her later. And I don't, I don't really get into the depths of it and why, but I've told her, I've sat her down and 
you know, because she, she, she's starting to wonder, like, hey, Daddy, why, why do you always leave and go, go somewhere else? And, you know, she sees her friend's fathers. They're always home. And so I sat her down and I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. And I don't bullshit my kids. I don't lie to them. I don't tell them fucking fairy tales. I don't, I don't believe in that. Because one day they're going to grow up and they're going to realize life isn't a fucking fairy tale. And that's the last thing I want to do is disable them for the real world. So I tell her, I sit her down and I say, look, I'm going to tell you this. And you can ask me any questions that you want. And I don't know if I'll be able to answer them because there's some things I can't really explain to you right now. So I told her, I said, look, your daddy is different and your daddy um, goes through some things because of who he was before you were born. And I told her, I said, there's things that bother me, like when you and your sister scream and when you fight. And then I told her, I said, I don't ever want you to feel like this is your fault. Okay. I said, because it's something inside of me that, that you, you can't control. And so this isn't your fault. And I go, and there's other things too. And I said, there's other things that bother me that I, I need to separate myself from so I can be better for you. And I said, don't, don't you like it when daddy's happy? And she says, yeah. And I said, well, how do you feel when daddy's not happy? And she says, sad. And I said, well, why do you feel that way? And it broke my heart. She goes, because I can tell you're hurting. And she, when she said that, man, it, it fucking crushed me. She already at seven can tell that, that I'm hurting and fucking tears watering in my eyes right now. I'm trying to tell you all about this because this is real stuff, man. And this is, uh, these are the conversations I think that are necessary. And I told her, I said, well, so to, to keep daddy from hurting, he goes out to the farm and he just, you know, does things out there that he enjoys doing, like cutting trees down and putting fences up for horses that we don't have and sweating all day and bitching and complaining that <laughs> he doesn't have any fucking help. And she, she understood it. And she says, daddy, well, if that's what makes you happy, then that makes me happy. And at seven years old, I had a quasi intelligent conversation with this kid about who I am and a little bit about my past. Now she, she knows uh, she doesn't know everything. Obviously she knows I lost nine friends in one fire. She, she knows my tattoos. She knows the stars. She sees the symbolism behind it. Um, she actually saw the logo on my shirt and, and complimented it. And she goes, is that for your, those are for your friends. And I said, yeah, it sure is. Um, I've taken her out there and introduced her to them. So she gets that. She doesn't know about all the other stuff, but right now she doesn't need to. And I think, that if we can just sit down, find a way, if you're, if you're a little bit different because of the jobs that we do or the trauma that, that you've been exposed to in your past and you have, the, you have the ability to become somebody else with a flip of a switch because of a trigger, I think it's important that we sit down and talk to our, our children about that. I really do. I think that they need to understand that it's not their fault even though they may do things that, that affect us. And I mean, cause you can go from Jekyll to Hyde real quick. And I think if we continue to do that with no explanation, they're just going to kind of understand, Oh, that's just, that's just how he is. Or that's just how she is. That's what they're going to remember. But I like knowing that they understand it. And 
I, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's super important that we sit down and, and we talk to them and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And I'd love to hear that if you've been through some stuff and you're actually open with your family, I think that was a testament to my vulnerability with my children at such a young age, being able to sit down and talk to them about it without going into to, to scary grave detail, obviously. But I think it was a, uh, I think it was a milestone and I'm proud of that. And I think, I think you would be very proud of it too. If you can somehow, you know, all of our situations are different, but if you can somehow convey to your children that the, uh, you're not a monster that you, you, you might just have a little, you know, you might be sick sometimes and you, you need some medicine and the medicine may be wherever, wherever you keep it, you know, however you convey that to them is how you do it. But I'm glad that I did it. And I, I would encourage you to do the same. I look at, uh, I look at the positivity that children have brought into my life. Now, you, you hear me talk about all these triggers and all this, but you never really hear me talk about the positivity that they bring. And if you're a parent, you know, I don't need to tell you. Uh, I've had I've had friends that don't have kids, and they're just like, dude, I don't understand. Like, where's the payoff? And it's like, dude, the payoff for kids, it's a smile. I mean, it, it makes it all worth it. You can't, you can't make somebody understand that that doesn't have children. It's seeing your children smile and hearing them laugh and hearing them giggle is the biggest payoff in life that I've ever had. Um, and it makes it all worth it. Even the, the turbulent times, it, it makes all the turbulent times go away when you can see them smile and you see them happy and you see them enjoying themselves. And I think I've talked with friends about this and I think that's why a lot of, a lot of parents get go down that road of spoiling their children. They don't realize that that's what they're doing, but it makes them feel so complete and so happy inside to see their child happy that they just give them and give them and give them and give them and they never taketh. And see, I constantly taketh because as happy as it makes me to see them smile, it makes me sad, more sad to know that if I spoil them, they're probably going to turn into entitled fucking assholes. And I don't want that. So it's hard for me to take away from them, but I do it. I actually take away more than I give. And so when I give, it makes it more special. And I feel like there's more gratitude on their end, you know, when daddy does give things. But I really think that that's why a lot of parents do that. Um, but these, you know, children are, are your greatest blessing and, and it makes you want to be a better human being. And I see so many people, they're like, I want to, I want to do this or I want to do that. And this is for my kids. I hear that all the time. And I, I, I say the same thing, man, if it wasn't for my kids, I don't really know that I would have been around. I, 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 I think that there may be a greater opportunity, the opportunity that I would have, I would have left this, this earth a long time ago because they are the driving force behind what I do. And we, we got to set examples for them. If they see their daddy quit, that means they're going to fucking probably learn how to quit. And I don't ever want them to learn how to quit. They see their daddy step up to the plate and fight tooth and nail for everything he's got. Hopefully they'll do the same thing and they won't be so susceptible to giving up. I don't want them to inherit a quitting mind. You know, I want them to inherit the winning and the fighting mind. And 
that literally is the driving force. And I know people that are parents out there, you're probably shaking your head, yeah. And as, as bad as the little bastards can be, I mean, there's nothing better than having them. And it's, uh, it, gives you, it gives you energy. It gives you hope. It gives you um, a purpose. It gives you a reason to keep pushing forward and striving to be better every single day. And I couldn't, I couldn't be more thankful. There ain't no way I would want a third child. I'm just going to tell you all right now. So I see those people out there with three kids, four kids, five kids, six kids, and I'm just like, the fuck is wrong with y'all? Um, y'all need to knock that shit off because one, I see, I see most of your, your, uh, Instagram pages and you don't live on a farm. So you don't need farm hands around. These ain't, these ain't the 1830s. You don't need little motherfuckers out there shucking corn and plowing fields. You live in a normal neighborhood. You don't need six kids jammed up in a house. I'm just saying y'all, some of y'all like having too many damn kids and they don't have enough work around the house. How do we um how do we how do we bounce back after something bad has happened to us after we've experienced um whether it be loss or just you know getting getting fired from a job getting getting laid off when when things don't go your way how do we bounce back somebody asked me that question a long time ago and I, and I think honestly I think each situation is different but what I think it all boils down to is attitude. And your attitude will determine whether you persevere or not. Now, you can be mad at the world when things don't go your way. And I, I've been there and I've done that. And I did it for eight years after, uh, after I lost my job as a police officer because I knew that I didn't do anything wrong. And I was mad at the world. And I'm going to tell you what it changed. It changed absolutely nothing. Um... I talk about redirecting moments in life a lot. I, I, I might beat a dead horse with this, but it's so true. It's so easy to see the negative when things don't go our way. And it's hard to keep a positive mindset. It's And, you know, most people, they're just like, oh, let's just let Jesus take the wheel and let's see what happens. But honestly, how are your bills getting paid? You know, when Jesus got the wheel, he's going to put you on the, on the right track or whatever, if that's the, what you want to believe. Now, I'm not... I'm not a religious man. So I believe like, Hey, it's my responsibility to grab this fucking wheel and make things happen in life. Ain't nobody going to do it for me. And if I sit around and depend on Jesus to do it, if I depend on somebody else to do it, uh, I might be waiting a long fucking time. And I, and what we don't have is time. Cause that shit's running out. So I need to take charge of my situation right now. How do I bounce back? How, how do I make it happen and not depend on somebody else or some outside source or some, entity to make things happen or make the universe. How do I do it? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's about staying positive and it's very hard. And what you do is when you get kicked in the nuts or however you identify, if you get kicked, <laughs> you take that blow and you get mad for a few minutes or a few days, whatever it is, and you get it out of your system and then you regroup and you refocus and you say, all right, what are the skills that I possess? What do I know how to do? And how do I move forward? And you got to figure it out on your own. Um, I'll tell you how I do it. Anytime something something happens that like gives me a setback and how I bounce back. After I get all that initial shock out of my system, I say, all right. If I don't move forward, I'm going to be stagnant. 
or either I'm going to go backwards. So what other choice do I have? And that's it. It's that fucking simple. What choice do you have to not bounce back? Because if you don't bounce back, you're going to be stagnant or you'll get left behind. And that's it. And I look at my time clock and I don't know how much time is on it. And I think, well, I don't want to be living in sorrow and misery the rest of my life and pity. So I choose the alternative. And I shoulder whatever the fuck experience that it was. And I find a way for it to make me stronger. And that's it. It's that simple. The second you start playing the victim card, everybody does that, I guess, when things don't go right. But that's infectious and it's contagious. And that shit will eat you up like cancer. The second you you start playing victim because you'll start believing your own bullshit and you'll hold yourself back. Nobody else will hold you back except you. I've gotten messages from people before where I can I can see through the entire message. I see all of the hurt, all of the pain, all the experiences that they describe to me, and I can instantly see without even talking to them where their where their mind is. Their mind is in victimhood. And it's hard for me to not reach through the message, slap them and say knock it the fuck off. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. I try not to do that because I try to be encouraging, but I can actually talk about it on the podcast because you never know what state these folks are in. They're vulnerable sometimes, and they just need they need an outlet. I get it. But that's the honest truth. Look yourself in the mirror. Stop being the victim and press on. You'll be glad you did. I used to go to uh, I used to go to this Mexican restaurant a lot uh, when I was uh, when I was a fireman. It was right around the corner from my house and. Uh, we used to we used to have a good time back in the day when I was drinking. We'd go out on a boat all day and uh, we we do a nightcap at the Mexican place and we'd come in there and I, I became well I tell you, I say I became friends I uh, I became acquaintances with with the owner and the staff and and this is where I'm going to tell you how um, it pays to at least take a foreign language in high school okay look i got out of school with not taking any foreign language and i became the brunt of a joke because had i at least made an effort to learn a little bit of spanish i would have figured out that uh that i was being made fun of and i i, I should save this story for the book but i'm just going to tell it on podcast and get out of here because i got i got some information to tell you all real quick after this um so the, the owner's name the mexican fellow that owned it his his I guess American name or whatever it was. We call him Roger. His name was Roger. And he, every time I would come in there, he'd slap me on the back because I was always making jokes and I was get really, I'd get real drunk in there and all that. And he, and he gave me a nickname and I was so honored to receive this nickname that it made me actually go there more because the dudes in the kitchen would come out and they'd call me this nickname and I'd be like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's who I am. Goddamn, you know? So, my nickname was Cabron and I didn't know what the fuck Cabron meant. I thought it meant like something cool. And I asked Roger, Hey, what does that mean? And he told me it meant tough guy. So every time I went in there, I had my chest out, my head up. And, uh, back then I was on a dating scene and I'd come in with a gal or something and, He'd be like, hey, Cabron. And I'm like, yeah, it's me, Cabron. And I would go in there and talk. 
man, I didn't realize the whole time they were calling me dumbass. And that was unfortunate because them motherfuckers will call me dumbass pretty much to my face. And I didn't realize what was happening. Um, and that went on for, for well over a year. And I never thought for a second to go, hey, let me let me just go fact check. Let me go Google what cabron means. I almost actually went and had a hat made that said cabron on it so I could wear in there. And and yeah, so that's that's my dumbass story. Look, I'm, I'm about to go, but I want to tell you all this. I um I'm really excited because I'm leaving today. By the time you hear this, this class will have already happened. But I'm going to teach my my course, Post Traumatic Purpose, to a small volunteer department in Cameron, South Carolina. And uh, when the chief reached out to me, he he reached out to me. Uh, it's a volunteer department, and he was very passionate. He's like, "Look, man, we don't we don't get a whole lot of training out here, and our resources are extremely limited." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I I'm I'm gonna come teach this course to y'all." Uh, and I'm excited, and this is why I'm so excited is because I generally I get to teach to a lot of bigger, larger departments that they have budgets for this stuff to bring in, and they have resources. And now I get I get to go to volunteer companies and help them out, and it made me kind of sad for them because I was like, damn. This is one of the most important things that the fire service and, and, and first responders in general can train on. And and they don't have the resources for it. Unless they personally know somebody that they can reach out to. That's the only way that they could uh, hopefully get somebody to come in and teach this stuff. Because, you know, we've done episodes where I talk about the stuff volunteer firefighters see. And they don't get the luxury of being able to go back to the firehouse and spend the night with their buddies who were on that call with them, they have to go back and work at their normal job with a bunch of people that cannot relate to the shit that they just went to. And then they go home with it and there's nobody to decompress to. And it just made my heart ache for them as I think about that. And I'm just, I'm proud that I'm going, going out there tonight and there's only 15, 15 people going to be there. And it's not a big event by any means, but you know what? All 15 of them need to hear this shit and they need to understand it and learn it. And I'm super excited to be be able to be in a position where I get to go do that for them. Um, you know, I, I talk about the, the training that we do in the fire service and, and also in the police world. And some of the stuff that we train on year in and year out annually without getting, without getting too in-depth here. It's stuff we never fucking use. Yet... The one thing that we always use on duty and off duty is our mental health. And we never fucking train on it. And that's it, that, it, that strikes a nerve with me. So um, I'm glad to just be in a position where this is this is starting to, to take root and it's growing. And so thank you guys for spreading the message and the support on this course because I think so many people need to need to understand this and need to hear this and this isn't you know when i get calls for this course i tell them flat out i'm like look this isn't a slide presentation with charts and graphs and a bunch of statistics that i'm beating in your head this is real world shit and real world experiences that that we're covering up here these are hard fucking conversations that need to be had so when you leave here it, it makes you think the second you walk out of this class, actually while you're in the class, you're already thinking, but the second you walk out of that class, I want you wiping your fucking forehead like, God damn, 
that's something to think about. Because when I was a first responder and we would go to these classes, these mandatory classes, and we'd sit in them, when you left, you don't, you didn't retain shit. You didn't remember it. It was like, all right, check in the box. We had to go do that. But what did we really learn? And that's what I talk about. It's I'm not there. I'm not there to teach. I'm there to make you think and to open your fucking eyes a little bit and open your ears and to lower your walls and put that bravado on a shelf where it belongs. You know, there's a time when we need that, but there's also a time when we don't need it. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I, what I'm getting to do with post-traumatic purpose. So those of you that have been asking about it, um, and, and who have, you know, requested me to come out. Thank you. It's, uh, it takes people like you to, to get the ball rolling. Cause I'm not, I'm not a fucking salesman. I don't cold call fire departments and be like, Hey, you know what I mean? So it, it takes the people that are doing it that understand what I'm doing, that they're, they're reaching out on their department's half and then and on their behalf and then going back to them with it. And, and that's how all this has taken root. So thank you. It's very important. And it's important. I, I talk about accountability. We all have to be accountable for this stuff when it comes down to mental health. And uh, you guys are straight up there on the leadership charts, taking charge and making it happen. Cause it's not the problem with, with this stuff is it's not cool and flashy. It's not repelling off of a, a fucking building. You know how many firefighters get to do that? Like in, in the line of duty in their, in their career, fucking 0.1% on a real call 0.1, but we'll go up there and we'll drill all day about jumping off of a tower and putting our seat on and making the perfect L position and using your brake uh, and bouncing off of the, the, the fucking building the right way. And, You'll never, ever use it. But we use this mental health shit every second of the day when we're on duty and off duty. Think about that. And while you're thinking about that, I hope you all have a great day. Thank you so much for the support. I love you all. See you next time.